This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Eritrea, a small nation on the Horn of Africa that unfortunately most of the world is only learning about for the first time because of an ongoing conflict with its neighbour, Ethiopia, which is threatening to spill out over into one of the most geopolitically consequential regions in the world. Eritrea sits at the entrance to the Red Sea, at a bottleneck to the Suez Canal, which is a shipping link between Europe and Asia, two of the largest trade markets in the world, as well as the oil producers of the Persian Gulf. It's also directly opposite a rebel-controlled region of Yemen and Saudi Arabia, two groups that have also been involved in an ongoing conflict that is causing a long list of economic headaches in the region. Its indirect neighbour is Somalia, or rather the claimed independent breakaway state of Somaliland, and wedged in between all of this is Djibouti, an interesting country in its own right, but one that is also home to military bases for some of the world's most powerful countries, specifically because of its sensitive location. Already, tensions in this region have seen major shipping companies cease their operations through one of the most valuable trade routes in the world, because it's simply not worth the risk to their ships, cargo and their crew. If this goes on long enough, it will have a significant impact on the global economy, which is already struggling with the pressures of nearshoring and friendshoring after the weaknesses of long supply chains were exposed during the pandemic. This would be a tense environment for any economy. But Eritrea is a country affectionately known as the North Korea of Africa, thanks to its totalitarian leadership and long list of policies intended to keep its people in and the world out. Given this situation, it's perhaps no surprise that this country is one of the poorest in the world, with what could be the worst living conditions of any economy anywhere. But it doesn't need to be like this. In a strange way, Eritrea's terrible domestic and regional situation could be a golden opportunity for the country. And while it's unfortunately unlikely to take advantage of these opportunities, it can still give us a great insight into what's going on in this incredibly influential part of the world. So, how has Eritrea become the North Korea of Africa? How is this a potential economic opportunity? And finally, how did this country become one of the most mismanaged economies in the world? Once we've done all that, we can put Eritrea on the Economics Explained leaderboard. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. 
To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Eritrea is one of the youngest countries in the world, only formally gaining independence in 1993, just over 30 years ago. A lot of the economic, political and social challenges the country is facing today can be traced back to a pretty common problem in the region, and that was the haphazardly drawn borders that the countries were divided along by the Allies after the Second World War. Before the war, the region that is now Eritrea was an Italian trading colony, and after the war it was lumped together with Ethiopia with little regard for the different groups that occupied the country. This arrangement did not last long, and in 1961 Eritrea began a war for their independence that would last for 30 years. The Eritrean people overwhelmingly supported having their own sovereign nation. Two years after the war was over, a referendum was held where 99.8% voted in favour of independence. Now, this might sound like the results of every dodgy election ever, but in this case the vote was overseen by the UN and the decision did genuinely have popular support. The main reason that the devastating and prolonged war needed to be fought in the first place was because Ethiopia wanted access to ports for trade because even back in 1961 it was clear how important global shipping was going to become. To this day, Ethiopia has pushed for access to seaports because without it, they have struggled to export their goods competitively and any imports into the country are very expensive for its people, who are still incredibly poor. The fallout of a three decade long war meant that the newly independent state of Eritrea was crushed before it had a chance to really get started. The government that came to power in the aftermath of the conflict was also formed around ruling a separatist group at war, not governing a country at peace. So even if the leaders which still rule over the country today had their people's best interest at heart, it would require a radical shape-up of their government systems. A few months ago we explored the economy of Somalia, another desperately impoverished country from the same region, and found that the biggest weakness of their economy was an almost total lack of formal government. Without a universally recognised and effective government, the country is fractured into different regions with unofficial borders all over the place. Without basic enforcement of laws, no real industry can be established in the country beyond subsistence farming and surprisingly self-regulated piracy. Piracy is a very interesting way for a country to take advantage of its proximity to trade routes, but it's not exactly something that a flourishing economy is going to be built off of. Eritrea in many ways has exactly the opposite problem. The country's government has too much control over every aspect of the economy, so much so that it cripples any private industries and radically misaligns what should be supplied in the economy and what really is. Almost every business in Eritrea falls under the direct control of the government. Banks, mining operations, building companies are all largely state-owned and manned by personnel from the country's extensive military. Eritrea has mandated conscription for men and women over the age of 18 given its tense history with its much more powerful neighbour. But since those men and women normally, fortunately, don't have much fighting to do, they're instead put to work in general national services. This usually involves working in mines or on construction projects for little to no pay, and while technically military service should only last for 18 months, it's often extended for workers who have valuable skills like mechanics, electricians and even teachers, who are often posted to schools that may be nowhere close to their home villages. Part of the reason that Eritrea gets compared to North Korea is because of its heavy handed approach to forced military service, combined with the amount of national expenditure that is dedicated to this military. For both North Korea and Eritrea, these numbers are not made available by the governments themselves, presumably because of military secrecy, but also likely because maintaining those kinds of records are difficult. Eritrea also has the worst press freedoms in all of Africa, which probably don't help the comparisons to North Korea, and certainly don't help with getting accurate economic figures. The CIA World Factbook estimates that they spend around 10% of their GDP on their military every year, which is roughly three times what the USA spends, and even it gets criticised for that being too much. That spending figure is also down significantly from as much as 34% of GDP in 2000 amongst renewed tensions with Ethiopia. 
In reality, even though this looks bad, and it is bad, a lot of this spending is not going towards developing combat capabilities, it's instead just the government using military funds and military personnel to try and run the country's industries how they see fit. Unfortunately, even though the country does not pay its military personnel very well, these projects are still publicly funded, which is why technically, Eritrea also claims the title of having the highest debt to GDP ratio in the world. Most of these loans are coming from nation-state investors that want influence in the region rather than a reliable return on their investment, because perhaps unsurprisingly, the debt taken on to fund centrally mandated military projects has not reliably been paid back. Last week we made a video discussing why capitalism is so common in our modern global economy to the point where it's difficult to name a country that doesn't have a capitalist economy by some definition. Well, Eritrea might be one of the few countries that escapes this broad definition because while it does have markets for basic goods and services, they are incredibly limited and primarily controlled by the government. No market exists for jobs or investments because again, that's all decided by the government. Anybody with valuable skills for the country will work for the government, either through the military or one of the government owned companies, and everybody else, making up a vast majority of the population, works as subsistence farmers just growing food to support themselves, their families and small, mostly isolated communities. This is something called a command economy, where almost all major decisions are made by a central authority. The problem that economies like this have is that billions of decisions are made every day in advanced free market countries about what to buy, what to produce and what to invest in, and each of those decisions is made by individuals all looking out for their own self-interest. Overall this system works effectively to guide production into producing what people in the economy really need and really value. Even if a command economy was run by a completely benign government just trying to do the best for its people, deciding exactly what should be produced and who it should be supplied to for every economic participant in an economy is almost impossible, especially for advanced goods and services that need parts to make parts to make end goods. One of the theoretical advantages of a command economy is that it should be more stable short term because it's not impacted by changing consumer confidence and preferences, which can be quite fickle. But because of just how hard it is to control every action in an economy centrally, output from command economies has historically been even more unstable than in regular free market capitalist economies. A command economy also introduces a single point of failure for the entire country. If one business in a capitalist economy makes a bad decision, it goes bankrupt and a smarter, better business takes its place. At least in theory. If the central planning department for an entire economy makes a mistake, it can take down the entire economy. There are unfortunately many examples of this happening in the real world, the most famous example probably being the Great Leap Forward in China, which is a misguided economic policy to improve agriculture and heavy industry, but unfortunately only made both of them worse across the entire country, causing a famine that killed tens of millions of people. Now, some level of central control in an economy can actually be a good thing, especially for a country starting effectively from scratch like Eritrea is. Free markets are great and they are a highly effective tool to guide production, investment and training, but without some kind of structure they can be slow and indecisive when an economy really needs an assertive direction. North and South Korea are perfect case studies for this. After the Second World War and the Korean War both of the divided states were devastated, but it was actually North Korea that started growing faster because the centralised power of their government was able to make decisive plans about investing into industry when the South was kind of flailing to find any direction at all. Of course, the South has since exceeded the North in basically every economic metric, but early on a firm hand in a struggling economy could have had its uses, assuming that the hand is also willing to give up its power when necessary. One policy that Eritrea has implemented that it might be a bit of a pioneer in is that all of its citizens that live and work abroad still need to pay 2% of their income back to their home country as a tax. The taxation of citizens who live and work abroad is incredibly rare, and only the USA really does it on any kind of significant scale. But this could be an effective way to alleviate one of the biggest threats to undeveloped and developing economies around the world, and that's brain drain. 
When all of the youngest and best workers from a country leave to get access to better opportunities abroad, the country they left misses out on their productivity and potential tax revenues. This can be particularly devastating because people are normally moving from poor countries that could really use them to rich countries where they'll make more money and have a better quality of life. If something like a foreign workers tax could be successfully implemented, then it wouldn't be such a big hit to these undeveloped economies losing these workers because it's possible that their country would make even more revenue from them working in a high paying job abroad than it would from them if they worked a less value adding job domestically. In a way, it could be an opportunity for these countries to turn their people into their greatest export and turn a major threat into a huge opportunity. Now, as inspired as this tax system could be, a broken clock is still right twice a day, and there is a reason that Eritrea is one of the first countries in the world to push this tax. And unfortunately it's not because they are pioneers of innovative new fiscal controls. Command or centrally planned economies also suffer from putting too much power into the hands of people who might want to take advantage of it to secure their own positions and enrich themselves at the expense of their people, and that is a reality that has obviously impacted Eritrea as well. The terrible living conditions of the country, forced military service which can in many cases be extended for decades, and a lack of any real opportunity to escape this cycle is why Eritrea is the most fled country per capita in the world. There were over 580,000 Eritrean refugees around the world in 2021, which is the highest number of any country not at war, which is particularly alarming when it's considered that Eritrea only has a population of around 3.6 million people. So roughly 1 in 6 of the country's people are living as refugees, and that number doesn't even include people who were able to fully migrate or become citizens of other countries over the past 3 decades. This is more than just brain drain. It's a total drain. The tax on citizens living abroad could be an effective way to deal with a very real global problem in developing economies, but this particular implementation is little more than a desperate attempt to keep some money coming into a country that people can't get out of fast enough. It's also not very effective. Most people that leave the country have no intention of ever returning, and since Eritrea itself has been sanctioned by most of the West, they aren't in a position to negotiate tax treaties with them either. Every successful economy is successful in roughly the same way. They have advanced industries backed by effective finance overseen by a stable government which all gives good opportunities to their people. Every economic failure is a failure in a unique way. Some have no control over their people, some impose too much control, some overexploit their resources, and some never had any to begin with. Eritrea unfortunately started in a difficult position, but responded to these challenges by desperately trying to control what little they had, instead of trying to build more. Okay, now it's time to put Eritrea, one of the countries with the lowest levels of human development in the world, on our leaderboard. Unfortunately it will not do well, but hopefully the metrics can reveal a little bit more detail about how the country is in such a desperate situation. Another small disclaimer is that given the country's rigid controls on outside reporting, Eritrea is one of the few countries in the world that neither the World Bank nor the International Monetary Fund prepares up to date figures for, so we'll be using the most recent estimates available from 2019. Starting as always with size, Eritrea has a GDP of 1.98 billion US dollars, making it one of the smallest economies in the world in line with island nations like Vanuatu and Grenada. Eritrea gets a 1 out of 10. GDP per capita works out to be around 550 US dollars per person, again making it one of the poorest countries in the world, but by the numbers alone it looks about twice as productive as countries like Burundi and Somalia. Of course that's not a high benchmark, but even that difference is probably overstated. Because of the country's tight controls over industry, a lot more economic activity happens formally than it would in a country like Somalia, where most industries are intentionally left off the books. In reality, the quality of life of Eritrea is just as bad, if not worse than it is in these other countries, and even still, by the numbers alone, it still only gets a 1 out of 10. Stability and confidence is very poor. 
The country is still very young and in that time it's been involved in multiple regional hostilities with tensions still plaguing the nation to this day. The economy is run by decree with little to no oversight over decisions, debts have historically been unmanageable and rarely repaid, and it's witnessing one of the greatest exoduses of people of any country in history. The only redeeming factor the country has going for it is that it does technically have a recognised government and it isn't actively involved in a civil war, so it gets a 2 out of 10. Growth has been negative. Most of the country's output comes from government projects funded by loans repay with the exports of precious metals mined by forced conscripts in artisanal mines. The country has somehow managed to get the resource curse without even accessing the wealth of its natural resources. The challenges in exploiting these reserves has meant that the country has seen its total economic output roughly shrink by 30% over the last decade, meaning it can only get a 0 out of 10. And finally, industry. Most of the country's population are subsistence farmers just trying to grow enough food to support themselves. What formal industry does exist is mismanaged and run by a forced military and is primarily dependent on unsustainable mining and building. Eritrea gets a 1 out of 10. Altogether, that gives the country an average score of just 1 out of 10. Easily the lowest score we've ever had to give to a country, which hopefully highlights just how badly things have gone for Eritrea and its people. In this video we spoke a lot about Somalia, a country in the same region that is also in a dire economic situation for exactly the opposite reasons as Eritrea. If you want to learn more about that, you should be able to click to it on your screen now. Thanks for watching mate. Bye. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.